So here we are, Acts chapter 20. I want to pick up reading in verse 17, and we will read through the end of the chapter. May God bless the reading of His Word. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray together. Father, there is never an insignificant Sunday. There is never an insignificant sermon. 
and we would hear from You this morning. We pray that You would speak. That You would clear away any cloudiness of mind. That You would remove any distraction. That You would prevent Satan's Satan's schemes this morning as He would work against us. And that we, as Your sheep, would clearly hear Your voice. Help us by Your powerful Holy Spirit. Draw near, Lord, we pray. We have come to hear from You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, greetings from Denton. Let's get right to the Word. The Apostle Paul was a unique man. No doubt about it. You think maybe of unique men in the Old Testament, men like Abraham, Moses, or David. And when you come to the New Testament, of course, Jesus is the great man. Uh, but you think of men like Peter and men like Paul. Uh, these, these are unique men. Uh, but they're men that existed in a long line of godly men. A long line stretching over multiple millennia. Uh, such choice men and women are few in number today. So it seems. And I say so it seems because our field of view, even with the advent of the internet and all the information that we can take in and all that we can see globally, our field of view is still rather narrow. So I grant that there are many, many choice Christians who will never be publicly known by you or me. They will never be widely recognized as the holy vessels that they are. Not in this life anyway. Not not by a watching world anyway. Uh, These choice individuals are often hidden away, often working underground, laboring for the few, unnoticed by the multitudes, and never seeking man's applause. These men and women don't care to win an award. They don't require affirmation on a horizontal plane. They don't care to pop up on my Facebook feed or your Instagram feed. They are focused on one central thing. One key thing that drives everything else about them. They want to live well unto Christ. They they want to steward their life well. They want to run the Christian race with energy and gusto and the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. They endeavor then from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same to serve Christ as King come what may. But how rare such individuals are. Such Christians are in the earth today. Where we find them is in the church, of course. The the church of the living God. And yet, they're still seemingly rare. They're lovingly, diligently serving and sacrificing for the sake of others, even in bare-bones times, in difficult times. Uh, But I want you to see and take notice that our day, seemingly in our day, there is a great decline when it comes to this kind of Christian character and conviction. The question could rightly be asked, where are the committed Christians in 2022? 
Many in the church, sadly, have become lightweights, blown about by worldly winds in every direction, but gospel clarity direction. The typical Christian, and I feel this in myself at times, has become far too flimsy. And when I see it in myself, I don't like it. I need to repent of it. It grieves me. In our wealth, we have amassed to ourselves so many possessions, they seem to tie us down to the things of this life and the cares of this world. It's the deceitfulness of riches Jesus would often speak about. There is this inevitable connection then, apart from the grace of God, that comforts and wealth of the 21st century can lead Christians into greater efforts of self-preservation instead of self-sacrifice. It's as though we increasingly feel there is so much more to lose that is on the line if I'm to take this stand, if I'm to live in this committed way. So where does that bring us? Well, we are a safety-first generation. Duty-first is the cry of a bygone era. So let me ask you, each of you, this morning, I want you to answer it honestly, not publicly necessarily, but I want you to answer it honestly. Are you here to serve and sacrifice or merely to survive? Are you here to serve and sacrifice or merely to survive? How would our Lord answer that question? What does his life say? What does the Apostle Paul's life say? This is going to be our focus this morning. Because you know, as I continue to read church history, and I love to read church history, one thing becomes increasingly clear. The church makes its greatest advances when the saints count their lives as inconsequential and they live, according to the language of the Apostle Paul, as fools For Christ's sake, this is when the church advances most. When the Spirit of God takes captive a people of God, the effects to the kingdom of darkness are devastating. And Sadly, many of you, even this morning, are tempted right now to urgently agree, yes, this is true. And yes, I want more of this kind of commitment and convictional living but then it quickly passes. The urgency is fleeting. We don't in the moment of conviction of sin own up to our selfishness. There is no repentance. And so from a moment of conviction, we quickly move on because, you know, we've got big plans this weekend. It's going to be a blast. And there, the profitable internal conversation ends. It's sad but but it's true for so many in the church today, maybe even some of you here today. Prosperity and pleasure without threat of persecution have made many Christians sleepy and immovable, but immovable in the worst way. So God help us in this evil day. God give us more Pauls and Peters and Davids and Daniels and Stevens. I've broken the remainder of the message up into three parts. That was merely the introduction. Number one, 
the example of Paul. Number two, the example of Jesus. And number three, the encouragement to live. So the example of Paul in the text, the example of Jesus, and the encouragement to live. This is where we will be this morning. So let's begin where our text begins. I want you to look back with me now at Acts chapter 20. Our focus this morning will be on really a single verse, though we'll camp out a little bit more in the context as well. And this is Acts 20, verse 24. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course. Uh, in the King James, some of you may be reading from the King James this morning. Here's the way that it reads. But none of these things move me. This is immovable in the right way. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. I, I appreciate the way the translators handled that phrase where they say, but none of these things move me. Uh, there's one other translation in my preparation that I found helpful. Maybe you haven't even heard of it. It might be best that we haven't heard of it. It's the Jerusalem Bible. Um, here's the way it renders the first part of verse 24. Are you ready? Uh, but life to me is not a thing to waste words on. Now, that would be a paraphrastic, a paraphrase kind of rendering. Uh, and and the, the rendering of this verse in general is a little bit difficult uh, because it is an idiomatic expression. Uh, like we have many idioms today that in another culture would not be understood rightly. Uh, this here in our Bible is an idiomatic e expression, and, and that's why the translations will vary here and there. Uh, so I, I appreciate the ESV's rendering. I, I appreciate the King James Bible's rendering, and even in this case, the Jerusalem Bible, it is helpful in capturing Paul's mood of what he is communicating in the text. I do not account my life of any value, but none of these things move me, but life to me is not a thing to waste words on. Here's the Apostle Paul speaking to these precious men the elders of the church at Ephesus, men whom he loves, men whom he labored with for the space of three years. We understand that in the book of Acts. He, he knows these men then, and they know him. He loves these men, and they love him. And, and this, is, this is one of the beautiful things about shepherds who operate according to the dictates of Scripture. They, they really do know the sheep. They know one another. It's very relational. And that's a two-way road, right? It's not just that your pastor knows you, but you know your pastor. The guy that stands in the pulpit and speaks to you week after week after week, you actually know him. You're not just a number. As you can imagine then, this is a highly emotional scene in Acts 20. It is a true tear-jerking moment. Paul is there with these brothers of his and he's saying his final goodbye. 
this side of heaven, he will not see their face again. The text is clear. And, and he feels compelled in this moment to warn them and charge them and encourage them as precious leaders of the church. Much of what he says in the midst of this weighty farewell is a setting forth of his own life and example, his, his labor among them. He doesn't have to point elsewhere, but he says, just just look and see what I did when I was among you and follow my example as I follow Christ. So we get this biographical glimpse then into the Apostle Paul's life and ministry in Ephesus. He is a man, as the text tells us, who is constrained by the Spirit or, or we could say held captive By the Spirit. The Spirit of God has consumed Paul and is using Paul. Look with me at the verses that precede our text. Verses 22 and 23, where Paul says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. He he is in the midst of a journey. He's headed to Jerusalem. He is constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. How would you like to hear such an encouraging message from the Holy Spirit this morning? That afflictions and imprisonment await you. Well, this apparently is what the Apostle Paul clearly heard. He he sees then this reality that he is a man bought with a price and, and therefore he's not his own. And he sees that clearly. I think he sees that more clearly than you and I see that today. And this is part of where I want to encourage you. I appreciate then how he says what he says here. Because he has a general idea that as he is traveling to Jerusalem, that's the destination, there is something awaiting him there, something dangerous, something painful, maybe something life-threatening. He doesn't know exactly what it is, the exact outcome, the end of the matter, but but he knows that there is difficulty awaiting him. It's It's an unknown outcome, however. And often these unknowns are kind of scary, aren't they? I mean, you and I don't know what's going to happen 10 seconds from now. You surely don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or 10 days from now or 10 months from now or 10 years from now. These are the scary unknowns. Well, Paul is ministering, he's operating, he's living in the context of these scary unknowns. We're confronted with them. Paul was confronted with them. Uh, Matthew Henry, the English Puritan, he says this of the unknowns. Quote, it is good for us to be kept in the dark concerning future events. Did you hear that? He said, it is good for us to be kept in the dark concerning future events that we may be always waiting on God and waiting for Him. Let Him do what is best with us as it seems in His eyes. Do you believe that? Paul certainly did. And thus, he's not deterred. He's not going to turn back like Jonah did for a season and go to some other city. He's going to press on toward Jerusalem. Paul got this. He lived in light of this. 
Well, directly related to this theme, uh, this is kind of a sidebar moment, that there's a hymn I stumbled upon recently, and I don't know if any of y'all would be aware of this hymn. It's titled, God Holds the Keys of All Unknown. I had never come across this hymn in my life, and I love hymns. I'm going to read it to you. I'm not going to sing it. You'll, you'll appreciate that. Trust me. God holds the key of all unknown, and I am glad. If other hands should hold the key, or if he trusted it to me, I might be sad. I might be sad. What if tomorrow's cares were here without its rest? I'd rather he unlocked the day, and as the hours swing open, say, my will is best. My will is best. The very dimness of my sight makes me secure. For groping in my misty way, I feel His hand, I hear Him say, My help is sure. My help is sure. I cannot read His future plans, but this I know. I have the smiling of His face and all the refuge of His grace while here below, while here below. Enough! This covers all my wants, and so I rest. For what I cannot, He can see, and in His care I safe shall be, forever blessed, forever blessed. Back to the text, saints. Here we're reading the language of a man who has counted the cost and simply committed any and every outcome to God. He has looked the unknowns in the face. He he has stared them down, so to speak. Paul had run through the worst case scenarios, afflictions, imprisonments, even death. And with Christ and for Christ, he is willing to suffer whatever comes his way. This is a man who will not be overcome by some all-consuming concern for survival. Did you hear me? Because I think many in the church today have been overcome by this desire. Here is a man, the Apostle Paul, who will not be overcome by some all-consuming concern for survival. This is why churches have shut down in the midst of COVID, an all-consuming concern for survival. He will not be discouraged or dissuaded in his mission. And then he goes on to say what he says in our text. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course. You see, Paul views his life as expendable even inconsequential. His overriding concern isn't length of life, but rather the quality of life he lives to God. That statement, I don't account my life of any value. Is he just speaking hypothetically? Is he trying to impress these men? No, this is his heart. He's being true. He's being honest. And it is deeply significant. What would it look like, church, today if every Christian embraced this view of life? That my life and your life is inconsequential in the big scheme of things. God, You can take me and do with me what You will. 
Even if it's pain, even if it's death. The view that death is just a part of life. That when we die, we die in the Lord and we be with the Lord. That, that death is just a step to heaven. That, that we live well today, that we could die well in that day. To other pastors, the English Puritan Richard Baxter would say again and again and again, you've got to teach your people how to die well. How to die joyfully. We need a dose of that today. You see, Paul wasn't a man who held on to his life with a tight fist. He isn't saying here in the text that his life didn't have value to Christ. He isn't saying that his life didn't have value to others. He actually says the opposite when we read Philippians chapter 1, where Paul says that with full courage now and always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and what? To die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, listen to what he says, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul's not saying his life didn't matter to people or to Christ. His life had a lot of value, but not to himself. And there's a key. He must serve Christ. He, he must preach Christ. He, he must go where God would have him to go. These were the things that mattered to Paul. Not a lengthy life. Not the outcomes. Not the end of the matter. Not the pain and hardship along the way. Here is a man who lives in light of what God has commanded and required of him. If that means prison, then so be it. If that means painful persecution, bring it on. If that means threatening, scary unknowns, even those leading to death, so be it. And all of this in a day with no anesthesia or Advil. Simply put, Paul is going to faithfully serve Christ wherever it takes him. He need not know exactly where that leads or to what end in order to remain faithful. You see, we try to broker deals with God. I'll serve you as long as it looks like this. I'll serve you as long as I don't have to suffer this. You don't broker deals with God. You go where He leads, period. In Acts 21, the very next chapter, we would hear Paul saying to a group of beloved friends and fellow ministers, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, out of love for Paul, they, they were, they were saying, Paul, you don't have to go. They did not have the mind of the Lord in the matter. Paul knew he had to go. And to them he said, why are you weeping? Why are you breaking my heart? Why are you trying to pull me in a different direction? The church is full of too many that are trying to pull other Christians in the wrong direction. This is a 
austere man that only sought to steward his life well and to finish his race. I appreciate a, ca- a comment by John Calvin. He, he said, it is dreadful to be so gripped by a blind desire to live that we lose life itself. It is dreadful to be so gripped by a blind desire to live that we lose life itself. Are you gripped by a blind desire to live this morning? Is that the corner that COVID has driven you into? A blind desire to live. Or are you one that holds your life up to God as a willing sacrifice? Lord, you just do whatever you want because it's going to be good. You hold it up to God with open hands and not clenched fists. Dear Christian, hear your Master speaking this morning. Just as He said in Luke 17.33, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. Again, Paul is saying here in the text, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course. What is more precious to you? A long life or a full life? Duration or fruitfulness? Would to God that every member of this dear body at the end of their day, their dying day, they could say, I gave my life to the Lord and my endeavor was always toward fruitfulness, never toward preservation. For Paul, his single-minded fixation was on finishing his course. If I can just finish my race and and then he'd get up the next morning, if I could just fulfill my calling. The fact is, we will never finish our race if we're not running today. Paul is not merely saying that he won't be deterred by threat of death in some future day. He is saying, I have to run my race every day while I still live. This is the way I finish my course. All for Jesus I must run. And he wasn't full of hot air. He wasn't pretending. He wasn't faking it until he made it. That's bad English. He was a man of action. Not mere words. So much so that not long before the end of his life, he wrote something to his son in the faith, Timothy, where he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul, by the grace of God, had accomplished what he set out to do for Christ. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Have you accomplished what you have set out to do for Christ? Are you accomplishing what you have set out to do for Christ? Are you running well? Are you running with the end in view? Are you more than conquering? All of this is true, by the way, even in light of Paul's eventual beheading under Nero's reign 
Now that's Paul's example. I want to move from the lesser example to the greater example. As good of an example as Paul is, he is by no means great. Not in the sense of our Lord Jesus. Paul lived his life for the sake of the church. Jesus Christ gave up his life for the sake of the church. Paul's death was no atoning death. He was a sinner just like you and me. So let's briefly look at the example of Jesus. We know the path that our Lord tread. He, he too had to go to Jerusalem, didn't he? Y'all remember that? This would be where he was crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem. And, and the text, uh, Luke's gospel specifically, uh, makes this comment as Jesus is journeying toward Jerusalem that, that his face was fixed like flint. He was immovable. You're not going to take him off of his path to Jerusalem where he knows he must go, where he knows he must be that lamb to be sacrificed for the sins of his people. He knew what awaited him. It wasn't the scary unknowns for the Lord Jesus. There was no ignorance of outcomes. Matthew 16.21, from that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. No unexpected outcomes for the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometime before He even begins His journey to Jerusalem, He he began to share to His beloved disciples of the things to come. They're going to beat me. They're going to mock me. They're going to kill me. The Spirit of God had already testified of these things to the Lord Jesus Christ, even of sufferings unimaginable. Recall with me briefly the scene in Gethsemane's garden where, where he prayed there what you and I so well remember. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, Not my will, but yours be done. Luke 22 records this of that moment in time. Says that Jesus was in agony. And he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. All of this, the mighty precursor to the cross. This was the very one who had previously spoken. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, cannot be my disciple. That was the words of our Lord. And he will now lead the way. He will now act this out before us. He will not prize his life above our lives he will lay his life down. And he will do it in such a way that a multitude will be saved. Eternally delivered, you and I are, as Christians, from the wages of sin. Paul could never do that, of course. He was but a man. But here is Jesus, the God-man, the perfect man, the only man that never should have died. He will lay down his life as the redeemer of sinful men. He'll be willingly cut down that others might be raised up. Think of the language of Philippians 2 with me. 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our precious Savior so mightily humbled himself, so graciously handed his life over to his creation in order to die this sacrificial death. Thus, John 15.13 would say, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Like Paul, Jesus wasn't moved by the horrors of death, even death on a cross. He wasn't moved by the seeming rejection of his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't moved by the weight of wrath for my sin and your sin he had to bear. He wasn't deterred by it at all. He embraced it and he must go to Jerusalem with even greater force, with even greater clarity, by his actions, Jesus was saying what Paul says in Acts 20.24, but I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself if I may finish my course. And thanks be to God, he finished his course. Nothing moved our Lord Jesus. He's the great example. The great example. What? would He not suffer for you and me? What difficulties would He not endure? As we see in Hebrews 12, it was the joy before Him that so compelled Him to endure the cross. Do you see this? Here's part of what I'm saying. Paul, what an example but he followed in the footsteps of the great example. Paul's reality was shaped by Christ. Christ is the forerunner. He did this first. Paul wasn't the forerunner of faithfulness, dear ones. Jesus was. Paul was only walking where Jesus had already tread, and you and I are called to do the same. The encouragement to live. Briefly, and we'll close. The struggle for you and me to live towards death is something that Christians have always experienced. You and I are not alone in this. A great part of our sanctification, I think, lies in this growing understanding and commitment to what Romans 14.8 says. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. I, I think that our Christian maturity is an increasing embrace of that reality right there. Living, we live to the Lord. Dying, we die to the Lord. But there is a glorious gospel key that we must ever hold on to. I quoted it moments ago in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You see, the Apostle Paul, he was drawing from the same well that you and I are to draw from today. There's one well 
and his name is Jesus Christ. It, it was the same well that Martin Luther drew from when he stood before the most powerful, prominent men in the Roman Empire at the Diet of Worms, when he asked for time to consider the emperor's demand. When he then stands on the following day and he says, I cannot recant these writings of mine, my soul is held captive to the word of God. It was out of such experiences that Luther would later author the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I think y'all are familiar with that hymn. Likely you sing it here at least occasionally. That hymn ends with these famous words. You may know them. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. You see, it's the same idea that we see in Paul that we see in Christ, that we see in Luther, that we see in saints today. We draw from the same well. That well is Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is your peace. He is your courage. He is your motivation. He will strengthen you, help you, cause you to stand upheld by His righteous omnipotent hand. He who loved not his life to death bids us to do the same and more than that will empower us to do the same. He has quite the track record among his saints. And and I say that because I read my Bible and in Revelation 12, I see this amazing statement. This is Revelation 12. We're coming to the end of the book, right? And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And then what do we see? For they loved not their lives even unto death. That's Christian martyrs right there. In Revelation 12, they overcame the onslaughts of Satan. They overcame the persecution of the world by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. You see, the mind of Christ, so saturated in humility, so full of submission, so motivated by sacrificial love, that mind is yours in Him. Do you believe this? It is Christ in you then that will shred those deeply embedded fears. It is Christ in you that will increasingly root out self-love and self-preservation. It is Christ in you that will cause you to see Him as precious, not your life as precious. Dear ones, don't you want quality over quantity? There's a reason we remember the short lives of saints of old, like Robert Murray McShane, 29 years old, the Lord took him. David Brainerd, the missionary to the American Indians, 28 years old, and the Lord took him. Jim Elliott in South America. John the Baptist. We admire these lives. There's a reason we don't look into them and and just shake our heads and say, what a waste. It's because we admire quality over quantity. These men were all in. They held to this view that I think is well articulated by a Baptist preacher, Vance Havner, when he said it is better to die with conviction than to live with compromise. Quality over quantity. 
So to the wind with long life, give me fruitful service for Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this. What did he conclude? This is the Apostle Paul again. That one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. There again is the key. Controlled by, captive to the love of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, please do not live your life as though living was the most important thing to you. Please do not live your life as though living is the most important thing to you. Oh, Lord, save us from such a view. Liberate us to live courageously, to fear not and neither be dismayed. What God told Joshua in the opening chapter of that book. Because He is with us. We can have His mind in this. Wherever life takes us, pain, imprisonment, death, persecution, God with us to the end. I'll conclude with a brief poetic statement from the missionary C.T. Studd, who poetically put it like this. Some of you may be familiar. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life. T'will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has burned out for thee. Pray with me. Father, we need something more than a pep talk. We need your infiltrating, piercing, powerful word to come alive to us this morning. It's not the voice of a preacher that we need. It's the voice of our Christ. You've lived this. You've laid down your life. You're the great example, the perfect example. Lord, inspire in your church today a fearless kind of living. Inspire, Lord, something more than the superficial and shallow. Inspire courageous living, committed Christianity among us. Do it, Lord, for Your name's sake. Do it because it's our best end and highest good. Do it because You love us and You'll be glorified in us. Thank You for this Word. Bless it to Your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.